0: Come to one more thing before you go. So, what do you do when someone in your family has been diagnosed with cancer? How do you react? How do you manage losing someone like that? What happens to you and your family? We're going to answer those questions and more when we talk to someone who unfortunately lost her father to this devastating disease. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is That Thing About Cancer and My Dad. My guest today is Amanda Steele. She's a multi genre author whose love of writing. And supporting other writers led her to create her own literary magazine in the United Kingdom. And after her journey with losing her father, she wrote an anthology and has become an advocate for several cancer charities. Welcome to the show, Amanda.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Can you please share with us a little bit more about your background, you you, and where you come from and, and what you do for a living?
1: Yeah. Okay, so I'm Amanda Steele. I'm a writer based in the UK in Manchester, and I've recently done an anthology because as you mentioned, my dad died of cancer about just over three years ago now. And that led me to put an anthology of different writers together to raise money for different cancer cancer charities.
0: And you, you also did a literary magazine, didn't you? You published one, produced and published one?
1: Yeah, that was called Printed Words and that ran for about eighteen months. And it was just coming to a natural end when I decided to put the anthology together on the back of that. So a lot of the people involved, are people from, who had work published in there, but then the submission call kind of went a bit viral and it got mentioned in quite a few publications as well. So then there's some people that we didn't know before who sent work into the anthology.
0: So the magazine itself was also in relation to cancer?
1: No, that was just to support writers, and they accepted previously published work, which a lot of magazines don't normally do, so that they could sort of give new life to their writing and just give them more promotion, really. Sort
0: of a platform or an opportunity for writers to display their work. Yeah. Yeah, I, as a writer myself, I have watched, and my father was a writer, actually a journalist, and I can tell you years ago that... Um, There used to be a multitude of opportunity for writers to be able to get works published and that, in this day of technology, has kind of diminished, would you say?
1: I think they're just in different places now. You've just got to look online rather than looking in magazines and wherever you used to look further than when I was doing it when I was younger. I'm not sure where you would have looked back in, (laughs) further back than that.
0: I go a little just a little bit farther back than that. yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. See, I, I won't give away my age, but uh, my gray hair should tell you something. Yeah. So you lost your father to cancer three and a half years ago, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Tell me a little bit about that.
1: So it was diagnosed in December, and I was in the middle of Christmas present mapping and quite happy because it was in the middle up to Christmas, and my mom called me. And she said, your dad's with me, you don't want to say it. I think he told a few people already and I think he just had enough of telling people because it's quite repetitive saying it over and over again, especially if you're the one suffering from cancer. And she just said, your dad's got cancer. And I thought she was joking at first because it's just the last thing I expected.
0: Yeah, it's always it's always a jolt to the system when um, anybody tells you about the fact that they've got Cancer, cancer seems to be a word, it's almost like a dirty word.
1: Yeah, I think you just, you read like the statistics of one in however many people will get it, but you never really think anybody in your immediate friends or family is going to be the one that gets it.
0: And your dad had, you had lung cancer, correct?
1: Yeah, he had lung cancer and secondary bone cancer. And it was quite far advanced by the time they found it. And they said to him, do you want to know how long you could have left? And he didn't want to know because he was trying to be positive. And he said they'd go for the chemo and try and obviously get more time out of it.
0: Prior to that, did you guys have any indication that he was suffering from anything at all?
1: For at least three months, he was having pains. And there's a history of heart disease and heart problems in my family. And he went to the doctor thinking it was something heart-related. And it took that long for them to go through all the heart tests and then start looking at other things before they finally diagnosed him with cancer.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I can empathize with you in regard to, I think I had told you previously when we had discussed that my father died of cancer. He had esophageal cancer. And prior to that, he had had a battle with lung cancer and they had removed the lung. So I I understand your journey.
1: Yeah, I don't think at the time any of us realized how serious it was I'm not sure whether my dad dad realised how serious it was and he kept it from us but the rest of us just seemed to be thinking right you know he's going to be ill but eventually he's going to get better because nobody actually said to us oh he's got X amount of time to live because the doctor said like I said how long do you want to know how long you could have left and he didn't so it didn't really seem real and we just thought oh we'll get over it and everything will be fine in the end
0: yeah, I think it's kind of, it's interesting because my sister, my sister's had cancer twice, um, and she's a survivor. She beat it twice, and both times when they said, do you want us to give you a diagnosis for how long you've got it, she said no. And she didn't want to, she didn't want that stigma of saying in three months you're going to die, because she wanted to make sure she overcame it, and she beat it twice.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure whether it would help or make it better knowing
0: I think it's probably an individual choice. I personally wouldn't want to know. I think uh, from my perspective, it gives me an opportunity to say that you're not giving me a death sentence you're you're just telling me that I need to overcome this,
1: yeah, at least that's I mean, the I've way pre- my sister looked at it. I've previously said that if it was me, I would want to know, but I think when you're in a situation, it could change, and you might not want to know then.
0: Yeah, I think motivation is a really good factor, but in some cases it, it, it just doesn't make a difference, I guess. As a daughter, just to help other people understand, um, as a daughter, what kind of challenges did that present to you?
1: Well, I was living about 40 miles away, so I almost felt like I was splitting two sometimes because I was trying to live my own life. And obviously you've still got bills and things coming in and you've got to sort that out. But then I was trying to be there as much as possible as well. And I'd just started a relationship with someone who I've now been with for almost four years in December. So that was challenging as well. And I was studying towards a degree.
0: It's a lot of aspects to try to juggle in between. But as you told me previously, it's your father. You have a family obligation as a daughter to kind of help take care of him
1: yeah Is that yeah where you came from i think as well jarring and after he died as well i think i <clears throat> felt guilty about a lot of things like was i there enough well i think in the end no matter how much i had been there you're always just going to think i could have done more
0: what did you do to help yourself so we can help the people listening what did you do to help overcome some of that guilt
1: so after he died, I think for a couple of months, it wasn't too bad. I cried a couple of times, and I thought that was it. I thought I've dealt with that quite well. And then it all came crashing down, and I split up with my partner temporarily because I just felt completely numb because I think I'd just been holding it in and I couldn't feel anything anymore by then. And then after, when I was on my own for a bit, I just, it started to feel everything a lot more then and I was like moping about at home and the music I was listening listening to was really morbid and making me cry all the time as well and I just thought, I've got to stop this, I'm just sick of crying all the time and I started going to a group therapy for six weeks and that kick-started it and helped a little bit and there was a lot of things I said there that made sense and you were talking to the people that had lost people around the same time as me as well. And I think that helped. And there's also a podcast in the UK as well called The Grief Cast. And I listened to about 80 episodes of that. And that was really therapeutic in some way as well, just hearing people talk about their experiences and relating to it and thinking, yeah, actually, I thought that. And it's not wrong to think that, And you know, something good can come out of it, even though obviously you wish your dad was alive. It's like the stuff that's come out of it, at least that's like something positive, even though obviously I'd want him back.
0: That's a brilliant idea, the podcast that that allows people to talk about grief. Grief is grief can hold you down and grief grief is something we all experience. And I think um there's never really no time limit on it. You know, you, you can't say, Well, I've got two days to get over my grief, I've got four days to get over my grief, or I've got a week to get over my grief for a year i think everybody needs to um kind of understand and get help to help them overcome yeah i
1: remember i remember somebody saying i remember somebody saying to me it'll stay with you for a long time and in those first two months where i thought i'd had it easy and gone through the grief before it actually hit me i was just i thought i thought yeah okay then and then like now obviously it's still with me but not to the extent it was back then so it's like birthdays and father's day obviously it hits you and then like you see something that reminds you of him and you just think oh my dad would have liked that
0: yeah it's interesting how memories still stick with us throughout our lives especially with our parents or somebody close to us that we've lost it's important though because it helps us to maintain uh, a relationship with that individual
1: no, I still find myself confusing my partner because I use some of the strange things that my dad used to say all the time. And it turns out nobody else said any of those things. So I'll just come out with all these weird sayings and they not straight away. And he says, is that something your dad used to say? Uh,
0: that's kind of funny. a Positive funny, but that's funny. <laughs> what started you um, on your writing about cancer? in creating the literary magazine, for example, uh, not the literary magazine, pardon me. What started you, uh, your idea for the anthology?
1: So I've always written and I've supported writers with the magazine that I used to do. And I just thought that's the next step, to do an anthology. And if I'm choosing charities to donate the money to, then it's got to be cancer because it's the thing that's affected my life the most by losing my dad to it.
0: I understand what an anthology is, and you do. We're both writers. So can you help our viewers understand what exactly is an anthology?
1: Okay, so it's usually a lot of different authors. It can be the same author, but most of the time it's a lot of different authors. And it could be a mixture of stories and poems or all of them. And this one that we've brought out is fiction, non-fiction, and poetry. And it's not always easy to tell the difference between some of the fiction and the non-fiction that people have sent in. But I think that's good in a way, because it suggests that this could happen. And I don't know if it's fiction or not, but it makes people think anyway.
0: Yeah, I've had the opportunity to read some of those. And uh, uh, very profound, the poems, the, the poetry, the, the um, haikus, and the stories are very compelling actually, and I could not tell the difference between fiction and nonfiction on the ones that I read. I felt that it uh, contributed to, uh, to feeling.
1: Yeah, there's a story in there about a woman taking a last trip with her daughter before she finds out she has cancer and then she eventually dies. And I don't know if that's fiction or nonfiction, but when I first read it and every time I was editing it after that, it always brought tears to my eyes, and it might not even be a true story but it's based on something that could happen.
0: That's the power of writing, the power of the word, power of the pen.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to edit when you're crying, you know? though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I didn't get to that point yet in my writing, but uh, I understand. So how did how did the rest of your family take the diagnosis from your father?
1: I think we were all just in denial a little bit. My younger sister, I felt really bad for her with her being the closest and she had to work and then she was there all the time when we couldn't be there.
0: How did your mum react? How did she take it?
1: She seemed to be in denial as well and I think it took her a while to actually not realise my dad was gone, obviously she knew he'd he died, but it just took, I think it took her a while to really deal with what that was going to be like afterwards with him not being around.
0: Were they married for a long time?
1: They met when my mum was 15, and they got married a few years after that, so it's quite a long time. I don't want to do the maths, but it's longer than I can ever imagine being with anyone.
0: Yeah, it's very difficult when somebody um, loses somebody when they've been with them for a long time. My wife and I have been together for 32 years, so I would have a hard time imagining not living without her.
1: Yeah, I think in some ways you just get used to someone being there and it's just a shock when they're gone and you think, oh, them, they'll be, they won't they will be gone or I'll be gone before they are.
0: It's kind of unexpected. Did you have to... You're, let me go back to this. You said your father didn't um, want to do chemo or he did do chemo. He did chemo.
1: chemo. Yeah, after a few sessions of chemo they said it's not working and they stopped it. And he thought... They might refer him for something like radiotherapy, and they didn't. They just basically re- re- sent him home to die without saying that in so many words. And none of us wanted to really accept it at the time. We just kept thinking, well, there's got to be something.
0: Can you help us understand? I know there's a difference between healthcare in uh, the United Kingdom and healthcare in the United States. Um, is, is there a huge difference in, in that, in taking care of somebody with cancer, do you think?
1: Oh, I'm not really sure. I've only got limited experience. I think it's, I mean, obviously we don't have to worry about the cost over here because we've got the NHS. So I don't know what it's like in America or how much you would get if you're not insured.
0: What is the NHS? Um,
1: The National Health Service.
0: So that National Health Service then is what the majority of individuals or all, all the people in the United Kingdom use?
1: Yeah, I mean, people, if they've got the money, they can go private, but generally people will go, and have the care of the nhs
0: so on a personal level you know part of my podcast and the title of my podcast as you know is one more thing before you go did you have the opportunity to talk with your father and say what you wanted to say before he was gone
1: i don't feel like i did in so many words i hope that being there showed him but it was the december after he'd got diagnosed and he was talking to me in the kitchen after meeting my new partner and he was saying that it was really good to see me happy and he said he wanted, he wanted all of us to be happy and he loved us all and looking back that was maybe his way of saying goodbye and kiss like it all went wrong and he didn't make it because he never used to talk like that with us, we were never the kind of family that would be like oh I love you, I love you too and all that
0: when you look back on that, do you think he would have done anything differently?
1: I don't think he could have done anything differently. He, he was quite positive for a lot of it. I think there was a few moments where obviously he was in a lot of pain, and he he said something to my mum when I wasn't there. He says like, "Oh, we can't wait for it to be over," or he wanted it to end, or something like that. But that was just like a bit of like, "I've had enough of it." But the rest of the time, he was quite positive considering everything that's happening.
0: So when you decided to put together an anthology, um, do you believe, and you may have have mentioned this earlier, but do you believe that this experience that you had is what helped motivate you into the anthology?
1: Yeah, definitely. For the first, I think it was the year after he died, or it might have been the year after that, I did a thing called Race for Life in the UK, which is like a running thing where you get sponsored and you raise money for cancer. And I did that two years in a row. And because of various aches and pains, I can't really run anymore. I suppose, like, the anthology is my version of sort of carrying it on and doing something else this year instead.
0: How long did it take you to write this and collect this anthology? I know that you've got your own op- story in there, but how long did it yeah. take you to collect this?
1: So I opened the submissions in January of this year, and I had plenty of time to read everything that came in. And we got a really good selection of people. And then it was, I think it was June. We closed the submissions, and then I started editing it. And now I've sent it to all the distributions ahead of September when it comes out.
0: And the the uh, copy that I was had access to that you had given me, thank you very much because I really appreciated those um, the words that came out of that book. They are very profound and very touching. I think I counted somewhere around fifty in this particular one?
1: Yeah, there's 43, including myself and my partner. Um, We had quite a lot that would normally have gone in, but because there were so many, I wanted people to be able to appreciate the stories that were in there without trying to cram too much into it.
0: Do you plan on any more anthologies, or is this going to be the only one?
1: Um, I'm not sure about charity anthologies. I might do a horror anthology, which is a completely different subject next year. And slightly more cheerful as
0: well. <laughs> yeah, cheerful is good. Uh, I lost, we just recently lost my, uh, my wife's father. And uh, we had taken care of him. He had uh, dementia, Lewy body dementia. So we lost somebody slowly from a different perspective. But uh, it took us a little while to get, to get transformed from caretaker back to funny stories about what was going on yeah. instead of the sad stories about what's going on. So positive is good. Yeah. The anthology that you have, how can somebody get, um, how can somebody find that? You said it's released in September.
1: Yeah. The pre-order for the ebook is available on Amazon and can, Kin- um, Kin- oh, that's Amazon, um, iTunes and Kobo and all the ebook platforms and the Actual paperback book should appear on there shortly as well. I think it's showing out of stock in some places at the moment, but it should be on there soon.
0: If it's showing out of stock, does that mean that, uh, hopefully that means that you're uh, raising a lot of money for charity. The profits from this are going to charity.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to distribute it to several different charities.
0: Are those all cancer-related? Can you tell me more about that? Are they all cancer-related or... A variety of charities.
1: Yeah. There are a lot of cancer-related charities. We've got the printed words Facebook page, and as and when the royalties come in for that and we distribute it to different charities, we be posting on there and saying we've donated this amount of money here and that amount of money there and so on, so people can see where the money's going.
0: That's a very positive thing. If somebody's going through the same thing that you had just went through, do you have any advice
1: for them? I'd just say find support groups and talk to friends and whatever you're thinking or feeling and going through, it's not it's normal. And there were people are in the same position, even if you feel like you're the only one that's feeling like that at the moment.
0: You have a you have a podcast. I know it's not related to this, but tell me about your podcast. Does it help you go through your daily challenges or is it is it for fun?
1: Um, it's for fun and it also supports writers as well. It's called Reading in Bed, so we review books. And sometimes it'll be big name books and other times it'll be indie authors. And it's just, sometimes we like to think that it'll help readers find authors that they wouldn't have discovered otherwise. And I've kind of branched off and done a podcast called Reading in Bed Extracts, where I'll read extracts of indie authors' books out. And that seems to get quite a lot of listeners and hopefully that results in them getting extra sales that they wouldn't have done.
0: That's fantastic. Actually, I I like um, people have, uh, I think, lost the art of uh, reading, at least here in the United States. They've unfortunately gone to um, iPads and phones and TV and binge watching and they forgot how to read.
1: Yeah, I think I read about 50 books a year. And that is considered low for some people I know, because I know people that need hundreds of a year. I don't know how they get time to do it.
0: (laughs) That's great, though. That's great that they're doing that. I I don't know if it's just in here in the U.S. maybe that 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 trend is, maybe because the availability of the technology that's here between gaming and iPads and the phones and the binge-watching on Netflix, people can't find the time, I guess, here.
1: Yeah, I think there is the majority of people that are just watching things and like playing games, video games and stuff. But I've just into surrounded myself on social media with people that like to read a lot of books. So that's the post I see where people are saying how many books they've read. But it's probably just my social circle and everybody else is just watching Netflix.
0: Well, let's see if we can expand that a little bit, get people to reading. And the first thing they need to do is they need to order your anthology. So do you have a website?
1: My website is com. And I'm not actually organized enough to have posted the links on there yet for the anthology, but it will be on there shortly.
0: And you said they could find the book on Amazon?
1: yeah. And if they like ebooks they can find it on any ebook platform. So it's not just Kindle, it's Apple and Kobo and everything else you can think of.
0: I will put links to uh, all of those on the show notes for you um, so that individuals can at least just press a link and get in contact on your website and or find the book.
1: Okay, thanks.
0: Any words of wisdom you want to share?
1: No, I have no wisdom in my head. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that you've shared a lot of wisdom, actually, and we'll look back upon the the, the episode here, and I think that you've been able to help uh, people to understand your journey, and I think that you've given some advice with uh, reaching out and getting help if they're going through grief, and uh, not to be afraid to ask. And uh, I think with your uh, writing, in your um, anthology, you're kind of exposing people to more of what others are feeling and experiencing out there so that they don't have to feel alone. Would you agree? Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Amanda, thank you very much. I appreciate your time and sharing your journey. And I will do my best to help promote the anthology because I think that you are doing a wonderful thing for people by number one, allowing them to express their feelings in that anthology and then donate it to cancer charities because it is a disease that is decimating families and I think that um I think that's a positive thing. So thank you very much.
1: Okay, no problem.
0: Cancer is the second leading cause of death in the United States alone and around the world. The only health condition that kills more people is heart disease. And unfortunately COVID nineteen is catching up to that. In twenty eighteen an estimated nine point five million people died of cancer worldwide. That's about twenty six thousand people each day one out of every six deaths. About 600,000 cancer deaths happen in the U.S. each year alone, and 80,000 in Canada. There are several ways that you can get involved in this fight. You can help by purchasing Amanda's book, which helps to fight cancer through charity. You'll find a link on her website to do that and in the show notes. You can also find more information about how you can volunteer or donate, or if you are going through this journey, at the American Cancer Society here in the United States, cancer.org, or in the UK, reach out to the cancerresearchuk.org. Your donations and your volunteer help would be a benefit to everyone involved.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.
0: And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening.
1: One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.